The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 127, a sequel chat movie review of Wonder Woman 84. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. All right, DC Fandom! Wonder Woman has finally arrived after a year and a half delay? Goodness! But did it arrive to a resounding finish? Or just a mediocre opening? That will be explored today on Sequel Chat! With me, I have Adam and Colton! Howdy, howdy. How's it going? We have Darth Vader on the line here, or is that Colton? (laughs) Well, gents, this did open in theaters. Did anyone brave the wilds of COVID to go out and see it in theaters? Uh, I don't mean to brag or anything, but uh, I managed to get in about 10 days before the rest of the country. I got to an early critic screening of it. Ooh. Took the wife to celebrate her graduation. It was my gift to her. Nice. uh, Tell us about this, Colton. I'm very curious. What was the setup there? It was IMAX, you said, right? It was it was an IMAX screen. Um, They made sure that uh, only 40 percent capacity. Uh, Everything was being sanitized hourly. There was absolutely no COVID threat whatsoever, considering all the guidelines that were in place, at least not to us personally. Okay. Nice. It went nicely, and we enjoyed the experience. It's kind of a foreign experience nowadays. So it dropped on HBO Max as well. Adam, is that where you got a peek at this? Definitely is. That was uh, part of my Christmas present, was I I need the subscription. And uh, it turns out, you know, it was interesting because the last movie I saw in theaters was joker mm. so the fact that now we're coming wow. back to another dc film you know to to at least experience a new movie you know what i'm saying like it was it was pretty interesting to catch it you know on a not so huge screen big enough i actually watched it twice in preparation for the show because i wanted to see did i really think about it what i thought about it the first time so we'll get into that same here i um My in-laws got HBO Max over the Christmas uh, vacation, and I got to watch it again with them. How about you, Jeremy? Uh, I watched it with my cousin, so we we watched the HBO Max version and uh, all the way through the credits. So it'll be interesting to dive in and see what we all thought of this. So uh, first impressions, I guess? Colton, what were you thinking Um, since you saw it first? After that flashback at the beginning, which I thought was really well done and very fast-paced, the film was slow for a while. It was slow until they leave the country. And then the film starts to pick up and do its breakneck pace again. That's pretty much the big warning I've given everybody is I let them know, hey, after you get this rousing, exciting opening sequence, the film slows down a bit and it doesn't pick up again until they actually start going international. That's a good tip. Adam? Uh, For me, you know, obviously hearing that it was, you know, 1984, I was very excited. I love my retro stuff, right? And I live (laughs) in a retro world. So that's what I was most excited about going into. I was like, okay, they did disappoint. There was a lot of aerobics, uh, (laughs) you know. There's a lot of 80s fashion. And uh, so so they they gave me that fix. But then uh, I did find it, it felt 
hubris at the beginning and then got more and more serious and kind of dour as the film went on. And so that was kind of how I felt about it. it was like, I was excited at the beginning and I got less excited towards the end. Ooh. And the, you know, the two and a half hour runtime may have had something to do with that. Do we know how long the original was? Uh, I think it was probably around the two hour because that was the, the DC mandate Yeah, for a while there. Actually, the original Wonder Woman was two hours and 29 minutes. Oh, hey. So well, this one felt way longer. <laughs> not the six minutes longer that it was. And on your side, Jeremy, what did you? What was your initial takeaway? <laughs> uh, initially, I had low expectations, honestly, going in. Um, just, I, I don't know exactly what it was. There was a lot of leaking, a lot of set footage, a lot of the trailers just kind of gave a lot away. And I'm like, um, is this really going to be as good as the last one was? Will there be a big moment? Like crossing no man's land. Will it? Ah, I don't know. But we had Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, is in it as the villain. So he's the guy under the helmet. He's the guy under the helmet. Wow, I did not know that. I saw a fun <laughs> fact that said he was in the original pilot. Yes. Way back when for the, the failed TV series. 2011. Yeah. But I didn't realize he, he was the Mandalorian as well. That yes. should have given this a huge boost for people who care, which well, I don't. <laughs> well, I, I mean, he didn't have his, I guess, Mandalorian trademark little mustache that he had under. <laughs> his helmet but also in this this movie he's got this cheesy accent um, oh i loved it man. over and the top honestly, this is maxwell lord the movie that's what this is you know mm. this is maxwell's world of wishes is what he, i would call this film he chewed the scenery oh yeah <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm sorry but i kind of liked it I, he, I loved his moment when he is there visiting you know their their research area and you know barbara has to walk away for a minute and he's just kind of walking through by himself and he just gives this one guy a long thumbs up <laughs> that just cracked me up so much i just turned to my wife i gave her a thumbs up while we were watching i was like that guy <laughs> right i mean it's the the overblown tv personality having to act that way in real life i i can see that in his portrayal well, let's uh, let's give y'all a film synopsis here real quick, and then we will jump into full spoilers here. Wonder Woman 1984, Diana Prince lives quietly among mortals in the vibrant, sleek 1980s, an era of excess driven by the pursuit of having it all. Though she's come into her full powers, she maintains a low profile by curating ancient artifacts and only performing heroic acts incognito. But soon, Diana will have to muster all her strength, wisdom, and courage as she finds herself squaring off against Maxwell Lord and the Cheetah, a villainess who possesses superhuman strength and agility. So now the spoiler warning is on, and what'd you think of Linda Carter? <laughs> hey! Biggest smile of the movie. Yeah. There she is. <laughs> my, 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 my theater just lit up when that figure turned around and it wasn't Gal Gadot instead it was uh, Linda Carter oh we love that right they 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 pulled the uh show the gun in the first act and you have to show her by the end I mean they teased her all throughout the movie praised her as this wondrous Amazon that sacrificed herself for her her whole island I mean it made me glad that they didn't try to work her into the first film because it wouldn't have fit this film is very goofy it's well for a portion of it. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> and, and the premise ultimately is kind of ridiculous. But 
it wouldn't have fit to have Linda Carter show up in that original film. So in this one, to have her on there, it's like, oh yeah, we're just, uh, whatever. We're just doing whatever here. So yeah, Linda Carter's back, guys. But I like that they gave her a new character and she was worked into the yes. Amazon mythology. That was very mm-hmm. nice. Very. So uh, Maxwell Lord and the the Wishing Stone? <laughs> that the really is stone? like this was his movie. I mean, when you really look at it, I, I made a joke online, you know, where I said, basically, I was like, you know, I really liked that Lasso Lady movie. This is a pretty good Lasso Lady <laughs> movie. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a Wonder Woman movie coming out someday. But Lasso Lady was all right. And uh, Maxwell Lord, yeah, being kind of really getting his his major fame. It was kind of a Batman Returns thing, right? Where it was more about the villains than it was about wonder woman now I, I i say that and i will get into some things i did like about the film uh that involved her uh but yeah but it, it did feel like there was a real heavy emphasis like most of the screen time was on pedro pascal and i don't know if that is because he is the mandalorian which i didn't know watching it like do you think that had something to do with it did he have a lot more sway um his star has been rising in recent years he was on a netflix show called narcos which i i still haven't seen Mm-hmm. He was in the second Kingsman movie. Um, and yes, it also, of course, the Mandalorian, like his star has been rising. So I imagine that contributed to his uh, increased amount of screen time. But honestly, his character was just really interesting. The arc that he goes through, like easily, he's the most dynamic of all the characters there. Now, Diana, all of the all the character growth that she went through kind of already happened in the past. She not a whole lot changed for her in this movie. Most of the change went with Maxwell Lord. So I can understand him having an unusually high amount of screen time as a result. Yes, yeah, she had he had the majority arc in this story. She did have one, though. And I, I'm not saying she didn't have one. I'm just saying it was a lot smaller. A lot of her growth is in the past. The whole it it's letting go of the past. Yeah. Spoiler alert. You know, the opening scene, which was really well done. Like, and props to Hans Zimmer. It's so hard to make a good film score these days. So many of them are forgettable. He managed to knock another one out of the park. I don't know if you guys agree, but I love the music he did for this movie. But that opening scene, young Diana gets caught cheating. And it just seems like she's kind of already learned her lesson from that. And and the lesson she learned plays into the plot later on. But the change within her from that happening already pretty much happened in between. Well, Colton, can you explain that to me? Because I felt like the opening scene, aside from introducing the armor had nothing to do with the rest of the film. She uses that line that her aunt said to her, you know, about the truth and all that stuff. She says it to Barbara while they're fighting to the cheetah at that point, but it feels so out of place. I don't get the connection to what is going on in the actual film and to what she was taught at that time. Lies and truth, but I'm rena- we're renouncing wishes. Like, no, I didn't see a lot of lying going on or oh, oh, dishonesty. Well, well, it's, it's, like, it's about what you deserve. Ah. Do you really deserve something or do you just feel entitled to it whether or not you deserve it? Okay. The victory she cl- was about to claim that she didn't really deserve and all these wishes that people are claiming for themselves regardless of the fourth dimensional consequences of how it's going to wreck the world. I, I did see a connection there being okay. in, I, trying to lay claim to something that's not yours. Cause it, it did come out very clear to me Now I looked at what Patty Jenkins said uh, about what the theme of this film is. Okay. So somebody had asked her, you know, the, the first movie brought the message of love and now the speech is about truth. What is your inspiration when choosing the message that'll be sent to the public? And Patty Jenkins said, 
The first movie is about being brave enough to still find love despite the flaws of mankind. The second film is about being brave enough to face the truth and choose others, even when it would be easier to be selfish. Mm. So I guess that is Diana's journey, essentially. And ultimately, you know, Maxwell's uh, focus at the end on his son. And then you have the cheetah. <laughs> you, had, you had Barbara throughout this. Kristen Wiig, who I was personally like, I didn't know because I had not seen a trailer where they revealed any type of cheetah person. So I was like, is she really going to turn to the cheetah? Is it just going to be a costume, you know, kind of arrangement? She'll have some, you know, cheetah print tights or something. So when it actually happened, I was like, oh, they went for it. Okay. Uh, there was one trailer I saw where they did give that away. Okay. Yeah, towards the end there. Yeah. Uh, but what, what did you guys think about her performance? Because I didn't even know Maxwell Lord was in this movie. The trailers I saw, I didn't see him as the focal point at all. It was all about the cheetah. It was all about Kristen Wiig and Wonder Woman. I felt like that was all the buildup to the movie and all the press that I saw. I never saw Pedro Pascal's name mentioned. Granted, I don't check as much as you guys do. But but what was promoted to me was Kristen Wiig versus Gal Gadot. Yeah, they showed him a lot on like TV screens um, in the trailer, just kind of tease. But I guess that's just the trailer's red herring that that they were teasing more of the matchup, the the knockdown drag out fight mm -hmm. rather than what was actually the monkey's paw element of the whole movie. Which I feel like I should have looked up. When did the monkey's paw story come out? Cause like, did they know about that in world war one or that, when Steve name checks story. that? I, I wouldn't be surprised if that story was from the 19th century. That's been around for a while. Okay. I mean, I'll have to double check on that, but yeah, that's a, uh, the impression I got when I first read it was that it was hearkening to an older time. The Monkey's Paw was 1902. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, all right, really early 20th century. I, 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 if I had to guess, it would have been 19th, but yeah, I guess that sounds right. Uh, but but getting back to, to the Kristen Wiig, Barbara, Minerva character, uh, did she remind you guys as much uh, as, of her Ghostbusters answer the call character in this one as, as, as yeah. good for me? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit there. I didn't want to say it. You guys said it first. <laughs> I really didn't want to say it. Um, but I do remember thinking it was necessary to kind of play up that conflict between Wonder Woman and Cheetah because there's always two kinds of superhero fights. Um, the physical kind and the kind where they're fighting somebody with their mind. It's pretty much a clashing of wills. We're getting the clashing of wills with her versus Maxwell Lord. Okay, There really wasn't going to be much of a physical fight between them. So they had to play up that cheetah dynamic as even if it wasn't truly the main event, it had to kind of look like it for the trailers to draw people in. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it felt like, you know, it, it was an interesting dynamic they had because, you know, Kristen Wiig's character so wants to be friends with Diana. So wants to be like her, but also wants to kind of impress her. So even when she we see her you know, her humanity being pulled away by her wish and she's beating up the guy who harassed her, you know, and being super violent against him and all these different things. Like she's still helping Diana and Steve on their trek to find the stone, right? Like she's still doing the research. It's not like she ever hates Diana 
in in the most of the film. You know, it's not like she's instantly a villain. So I thought it was an interesting progression that she had to the point of it. It was a little abrupt, but now Diana realizes who Maxwell Lord is. She's got to go stop him. And then here comes the cheetah to stop Diana. So she doesn't ruin the wish and the power that she's been given at this point. Right, because she realized that what it would cost her what they've been working on will cost her um, because she's actually had a taste of the good life. People uh, enjoy her. They, they love her. And, and that's going to be taken away. And thus, when she gets her second wish, it strips most of that humanity away from her. And thus she becomes the apex predator cheetah fully transformed. <laughs> and we could be grateful that uh, they didn't get the same CGI team from cats. The <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> yeah, no cat buttholes this time. <laughs> uh, I actually got really worried in their last fight, though, when like Diana's telling her to renounce her wish and she won't, that she's like, that I'm sorry. Like, I thought she was literally going to shove her into that electrical wire, wire and kill her. You know, like, I, I, like, I, I that have too. a man of and steel moment. The, the yeah. way that scene was cut, I w- honestly thought maybe possibly that was an early plan. And then they decided against it because, yeah. <laughs> wow. And also, I don't know if you guys have seen the memes online comparing Diana's armor. <laughs> To Goldar from Power Rangers. (laughs) (laughs) I missed that. That's awesome. I've seen it like a good half dozen times now, and I can't. And my in-laws who really enjoyed the film, I showed them the meme, and they were a little upset by it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, I want to talk about what I felt, because I'll be honest. Like I thought Max Warlord was funny at first, and then as it got more dramatic, I kind of enjoyed him less. I, I felt like it was just, you know, my, you know, got blood dripping out of my nose because it's affecting me and all these things. And my, my whole relationship with my son and I'm neglecting him. But so like as that built and especially like the very end, I really didn't uh, enjoy the climax that much. But this, the part of the film, which I had friends that really criticized it and said they hated was Diana and Steve and Steve coming back bringing back Chris Pine as Steve Trevor. I remember like two years ago, they, they revealed that he would be coming back and they had a really creative way of doing it. And I was just like, okay, okay. I'm curious to see how that works. And then they quantum leaped him. And you know what? I was fine with that. How did you guys feel about that? That's a nice way to put it. Quantum leaping. Uh, the comparison I made was when Patrick Swayze took over Whoopi Goldberg's body in Ghost. <laughs> That's what I was thinking the whole time. And, and, um, you know, some people feel off about it because they feel like the bolder thing to do would be to have them show the body itself consistently. Mm -hmm. Like they they feel that would be the bold, artistic, um, subversive, grand, you know, daring thing to do. And to show what they look like on the inside the whole time is, is a cop out. A lot of people feel me. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with the way they brought Chris Pine back. Um, because, yeah, their relationship was the best part of the first film, their chemistry. And, and I do have to say, I predicted this. Like, I knew we were going to be dealing with out-of-control wishes. Like, straight out of the Rod Serling catalog of Be Careful What You Wish For type story. Right. And I knew at some point, in order to save the world, Diana was going to have to give up Steve. And Steve was going to have to return to the afterlife. I called that long before the movie came out. And I, Did anybody have Bill Paxson vibes when uh, looking at the guy that... Steve took over his body. 
<laughs> Did nope. not occur to me. Okay, he nope. he kind of had a little bit of a vibe of like Bill Paxton like look to the face, obviously with a lot more hair, but uh, just kind of a weird thing there. But that was that was the interesting part that they could have shown, I guess, more people interacting with Steve as the other guy. Because it was only through Diana's eyes that we saw Steve. Yeah, well, that that's true. I mean, we could have seen you know other other people that revolved with them, but I guess that just would have made the movie even longer. And who needed that at this point? <laughs> um, but because because what I will say though is like you know they that was our lightness, right? You know, Steve doing the fashion show. Yes, the the shoes. Let's keep just keep the shoes. You know, like like the relief of all of that and, and those her you know the role reversal of her showing him the world, whereas in the last film he was introducing her to this modern world and all these things. So I thought that was a really fun uh, way to go about things. Now, what I have to say though, is some people have been ripping on Gal Gadot's acting in this because she's asked to do a little bit more dramatic work. And I think she did a good job, especially in that scene where she's saying, why can't I just have this one thing? You know, like I really felt for her in that moment. I thought that was you know, yes, it's it's going back to the she being selfish, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it's that struggle. Like she said, she gives so much that she would just love to have love in her life again, have a companion again, you know. She so has those... come so far since being in those Fast and Furious movies where <laughs> um, just she had a long ways to go when she was in those movies. I'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree. There were some scenes that easily, once upon a time, she would have been crushed under the weight of. This time she holds them up well. And that scene where she says goodbye to Steve, it got me. It got yeah. me. I, the thing I loved the most was them. The thing I hated the most was the crux on which they hung the relationship. Because this is this is Captain America and Peggy Carter, right? I mean, this Steve Trevor is Diana's Peggy Carter. And they only knew each other back in World War I for like a week. Maybe two weeks if there was some time jump I missed, you know, but right. it was very short. And she, when they get into the invisible jet and they're talking, she mentions how she always thought of, you know, of flying and, you know, being up high and all those things. Like it, that's what she thought most of him was being a pilot. And when she it talks about him to Barbara, he was a pilot. You didn't know him as a pilot. You didn't fly with him. You didn't have flying conversations. He was a spy who happened to fly a plane at the beginning and then he flew a plane at the end when he died. But he wasn't, he never identified himself as a pilot. And that was like, there's so much like imagery and everything like it hurt her learning to fly like everything was so heavily weighted on him being a pilot which was not a focus at all or even mentioned in the first movie frustrating to me my wife had to shush me while we were watching the movie i'm like this is terrible i could definitely see that (laughs) at the same time he's a pilot in all other media every time you ever see steve trevor he was a pilot not necessarily you know i mean he he kind of was a spy in the 70s show too an agent of some sort you know so like i understand they're getting back to the basics but it's just it's not the world you set up for the films so I, I, I couldn't I couldn't get on board with that. I, I appreciate your passion, but this is one of those <laughs> times when when somebody nerds out like that, <laughs> I say, please don't ever bring that up on a date. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm already I, it's, married. A, it's a little thing I picked up from Jay Leno like 15 years ago. The very small tangent. He had one of the guys from Lost on his show, and for no reason at all, he went off on a tangent about who should have shot first, Greedo or Han. Had nothing to do with anything. He just <laughs> randomly did it. And Jay Leno interrupts him and says, 
whatever you do, please don't ever bring that up on a date. <laughs> and, I, and I do, I do that every single time somebody shows any type of nerdy passion like that. <laughs> but I think it's very oh. poetic. That your wife shushed you if that means anything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Jay Leno's advice was definitely uh, well advised. Thank you, Jay. Uh, but did you guys like how they speak of the invisible jet, how they worked that out? Just, hey, we need invisibility. How do we do it? <laughs> yeah. I also thought that scene went a little bit too long. <laughs> oh, the, the like the, the slow down, the flying through oh, the fireworks yeah. and then yeah. above that the fireworks after that. And, yeah. What happened to that jet after they came back? Uh, but yeah, you're right, Jeremy. I mean, yeah, it's just like they got to Egypt, then she's on a phone call and she's like, tells Barbara, okay, we'll meet you there back in town, but you never see the plane again. I'm seeing, maybe we were meant to see it, but you never see them in the plane again. I tried uh, it once on a coffee cup and I lost it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that just means that it's permanently invisible now. And and by the end of it, it was the jet was just a one-off gag because... She learns how to fly. Yes. Well, now that yeah. is a part of the mythos in the comic book and in most iterations of Wonder Woman. And, you know, it was nice to know that Patty Jenkins, you know, cared enough because she even said about like the invisible jet and all these things. She's like, I think Wonder Woman is cool. One of the cool things about her was her invisible jet. Since the first movie, I wanted to figure out how you could work it into it without it being ridiculous. And you know what? That's the the magical realism of this story. Like she said, she it was a major breakthrough she had with Jeff Johns, you know, who's a comic book writer and oversees these right. movies, you know. And she's like, "But well, we finally figured out, of course, well, if Zeus could hide a whole island, she could learn to hide a plane. It's like, oh, you know what? I'll go with that one. But the fact that you uh, you based your whole love and life around this guy who's a pilot, no! <laughs> uh, now, what about you, for you guys? Did you... Um, did you feel like the opening scene where she is full on Wonder Woman in the mall, is that more the movie you wanted or did you want Diana and Steve super spies? Uh, let me put it this way. I enjoyed that scene. It got a little bit too close to Adam West's Batman for my taste. Yeah. But I enjoyed that scene. If the rest of the film had been like that, I don't know if I would have liked the movie as much. Mm -hmm. And I loved how she took the tiara off and smashed all the security cameras to make certain she didn't, you know, make too much of a mark in the history books before Superman arrives in 2013, you know? I love those little touches. How about you, Jeremy? You you love your superhero movies. Did you want it to be a little more superheroic or uh, comic book -y? Yes and no, but at the same time, they're trying to kind of wedge this in there so that it works within the the timeline but they're going to reboot the whole thing here in a year anyway with the flash. So it really didn't matter almost. Um, I mean, we got, we got some superheroics. We got some superhero fights. Yeah. Her big bad villain. But I mean, this was, this was meant to be more of a, a personal movie than a superhero movie. Yeah. And I guess like, uh, you know, what I come down to when I see it is like this movie obviously had to be the sequel. I feel like this is the movie they probably wanted to make for the first one. Like there was probably studio executives that said, well, you got to hit these points that everybody knows from the TV show and it's got to be kind of light and it's got to be kind of, you know, like, like I feel like this is a movie where, like, if you hadn't seen the first one, this movie, it really, I don't think it works. So much is based on her history, at least the Steve and Diana stuff, which is the core of her character's journey. 
Like, if you haven't seen the first movie, it's just like, oh, and she had an old boyfriend, I guess. We saw some pictures in her, you know, like, so it, it doesn't feel like it can stand alone. It's very much an Empire Strikes Back situation where, you know, a lot of people might like it a lot. You know, and in Empire's case, a lot of people say it's the best, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but uh, like, do we... Like, I, I know it's supposed to be part of, of a series in an ongoing universe, but I, I guess I just felt like with all that time moving forward, they maybe could have done something a little bit differently. As much as I enjoyed it, like, I, I was just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if this works with that being the case, you know, like with it so predicated on the original. What do you guys think? Uh I, I do think you need to see the original film in order to fully appreciate it. Obviously not any of the others because of its place in the timeline. But mm -hmm. first, yeah, you, you need to borrow a lot of the gravity from their relationship in the first film in order to truly appreciate how big the return is. Like, for, for example, that line he uses on her, you know, you save today, save the world, whatever he said, it wouldn't have the same impact if you hadn't seen the first film, for example. Mm hmm. And uh, so now also in this in this film, you know, there's a lot of um, lasso work, a lot of defies lasso work, fig right. defies physics. Like this is the <laughs> Captain America shield of lassos. Well, at least the shield. Everybody's lassoing well, like a boomerang as she rides across the sky. <laughs> right. My, my disbelief has not been suspended. It has been put into a coma. <laughs> <laughs> she lassoed an airplane and likely crashed it. Um, totally killing the gravitas of that moment you praised earlier, Colton, where she's like, <laughs> I love you. I renounce my wish. And then all of a sudden, whoop, you just flies up in the sky. You're like, what, what just happened? <laughs> what did she even attack? Because I, at first you think she just jumped and she's flying. And then they cut and she's like, no, she's attached to the plane. Huh? Okay. I guess we're going that way. I mean, I'm going to say riding the lightning, lassoing the lightning. That was cool. If they had done it like once, you know, like now she's lassoing lightning. Okay. That's a good lead in to the, you know, the big showdown. Uh, but, but yeah, if just for me, I don't know why the one that bugged me the most was in the mall scene where she throws the lasso behind her and it splits in two and lassos two hey, guys. At yeah, once. exactly. Uh -huh. It's one lasso, but it can split. <laughs> okay, I guess. It's, Whatever it's got need. a mind of its own, and it lives by truth. It yes. works by truth. The element of truth, essential elements? I don't... Um, yeah, but it's like, it, it, it was... It was uh, The thing I read from Patty Jenkins was she said she didn't want Diana to have a sword and shield because Diana is not a warrior. Uh, she is a bringer of peace and hope. That's you know, like her whole thing, though. <laughs> yeah, that that's the problem. Like Patty Jenkins, that is one of her missions in the early comics. And I think on the TV show, that's kind of she's supposed to help bring peace to the world of man and all that stuff. But as the character has uh, evolved over time, she's very much a warrior. Yeah, I mean, that's like taking Captain America and taking away his shield and being like, OK, you're no longer a warrior. You're a politician. Captain Diplomacy. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that that was a little disappointing just because, you know, I never thought I would miss Zack Snyder, but I felt like he at least had some grasp of what could make Wonder Woman cool, because that's all he knows. I think this looks cool. He, his Most name was still in the credits as an executive producer. Well, I don't know yes. if that means much. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know how much he's too busy, you know, recutting Justice League into a four hour mini series or whatever but, <laughs> but you it's know, going so to just, theaters as well 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's actually doing Ooh. that. All right. Uh, but yeah, so it just felt like like there was a little bit stripped away where I do like, you know, the the lightness of Diana being okay. You know what? She brings hope. Like, but one of my favorite scenes from the first film was just even just her eating the ice cream. He'd be like, you should be very proud. Like, I love she's just encouraging people, you know, a oh, baby. You know, like she just loves loves humanity as far as she knows at that point till she doesn't. Um, so I like that, that perspective, but I just felt like, um, maybe, yeah, we lost a little bit of that warrior spirit. Not that she had a whole lot of people to warrior against until the end when she's fighting a full on cheetah. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like the, the fight scenes because it was so lasso centric, uh, you know, or even like we're in Cairo and we're having, you know, a Mad Max style battle on the road, uh, you know, all that stuff. Like the only part of that scene that was cool, I mean, ridiculous, but cool, you know, to get a lasso, a missile. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And Steve knew exactly, you know, they, they had that mind meld, you know, I'm going to shoot this and you're going to lasso it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that was still a fun visual to save the kids. Right. And they totally just created a whole mess of trouble for the guy that Steve took over his body because everyone else in the world only saw that guy. They didn't see Steve. So the <laughs> oh, Middle East, they don't care about, don't care for this guy. Oh, uh, oh no, no! Right? <laughs> oh, you really opened up a can of worms for me. Oh, and and then at the end they have their little Christmas meet cute that was very Hallmark movie type, like oh, Lifetime movie. Ooh, that I felt like to modern st- day I, to me. I though. tried to stop myself from enjoying it, and I couldn't stop myself. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was that was very. 1984 Christmas like six months after all the rest of the movie where she's she's going about and she's like oh I can actually I've let go of Steve I can find love again and oh look here's here's Doofus who Steve had used his body we made love Doofus. and uh, <laughs> and he's wearing the suit that I picked out for Steve yes <laughs> yes my, my family we chuckled quite a bit at that sight but it was interesting that they didn't actually have them necessarily hit it off, right? Again, she's just encouraging him. I like your outfit. You know, and he's so happy that she likes his outfit. And then, oh, happy holidays, walks away, then it's over. You know, they they didn't turn into, oh, well, she got over, you know, her fear of loving again. Now she's going to love. No, she's like, yeah, you just walk off now. It would be weird. Because you're not Steve. And yeah. I looked at you and you were Steve for so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I mean, do you guys, did it feel a Spider-Man 3 to you? I guess is what I would say. With having the original? two <laughs> villain stories, did this feel like there was just too much going on? Uh, no, no. That, that's a, Now that you mention it, that is a pretty frequent problem. And I don't think that was a problem this time. I just felt like the scenes of supposed character development did not have the zest and punch consistently that I look for. And it made the film a little bit slow until they left the country in the invisible jet. Then things started to pick up again. But like, do you feel like if you cut Cheetah out of this movie, if Barbara Minerva is not a character, do you lose anything in the film? What, what do you feel like you lose? I do feel you do. Remember she provided the muscle who fights the hero with their hands, right? As opposed to the villain who fights the hero with their mind. 
but he was absorbing so many characteristics, right? The monkey's paw, he's given his wishes yeah. and he gets something back. So couldn't he have just powered up and been able to fight her? I mean, he was already shooting her with some sort of wind force power at the very end when she's trying to come in and yeah. he's playing Mr. President, yeah, you yeah. know? Two things, they didn't do anything before that point, and that's at the end, you know? The very end. And, and Well, so and, was Ares at the end of the first movie. Yeah, I know, and that's one of the main criticisms people had of that movie, is that yeah. he was this Monday morning quarterback villain who talked like a video game villain on top of that. <laughs> the, most people won't even talk about that scene when they talk about how much they love the first film. Right, um, and they, they kind of had to go the two-prong, two-villain yeah. ending just to avoid the whole CGI mess, we're going to knock it out, fight, 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 blow up half the world type thing uh, that Ares brought on and those criticisms. So having him power up wouldn't have worked because it would have just been a repeat, a rehash. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a girl power movie, so you got to have girl power villains too like you you kind of you kind of felt for minerva until she lost her humanity and went dark yeah and i will say like, you know, the aries turn was like the biggest like criticism i had of the original film mainly just because i thought the actor looked stupid right <laughs> his head on this <laughs> giant muscle body and i was like this looks so dumb um but then yeah so as much as i could see like somebody saying that this this movie maybe was a little overcrowded or barbara minerva was underserved i think you guys are right like i i do see that you know what for the way this movie is structured, it works really well. And it doesn't, even though the movie has slow spots, I don't think it's because, you know, they give like too much time to Barbara that they give too much time to, you know, Maxwell. Like, I, I feel like it's pretty evenly paced between the three of their stories with giving Diana and Steve their moments as well. Um, but I just, you know, who, who deserved a little bit more time was Cowman. Uh, that, that was the most <laughs> random moment in the movie for me as I told a man I wanted to farm and cows. I didn't mean here. You know? <laughs> like, I was like, what is going on? This old... I was like, that had to be Patty Jenkins' parents. Like, I need to see the special <laughs> features. I need to go look. Because like, why were these two old people, this old lady walking a dog, come inside, it's crazy. You know, and then he's like, oh. He's worried about his cows. And like, it just... For no reason whatsoever, that scene. So, but Cowman the movie, I'm waiting. Oh, I mean, they gave a lot of screen time to the the British baker and the Irish customer. Um, yes. The cast out and throw away all the Irish off the island. Wish he'd drop dead. And it went down. <laughs> yeah well i mean and it made sense because that was the other thing like when they got into when he goes to get the oil and the guy tells him i already sold my oil to the saudis and he tells him what his wish is you know doesn't want the infidels in and all this stuff like for a moment i was like "Ooh, that doesn't that seems like it's in poor taste but then i remembered this is 1984 right you know so again that the whole i you know the irish you know the catholics protestants battling thing you know the english and the irish or whatever and then you have you know all you know there's a lot of bombings then and then you have obviously the, all the the discord of the middle east and all those things so i mean it, it made sense what they were doing but at the moment it took me a minute to step back from modern times and remember it was a period movie uh, a frequent complaint that i heard was that they didn't feel it leaned enough into the 80s vibe not a lot of 80s music 
Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of plates and nostalgia. Like, you know, yeah, parachute pants, fanny pack, and some of the exercising we saw at the mall. But other than that, a lot of people I've heard have been complaining that it didn't look very 80s enough. I would agree. I mean, yeah, they, they didn't they didn't stranger things it. You know, they they did <laughs> just enough, but it was like the the modern day look back at the 80s, right? Where it was like right. Miami Vice and aerobics. That's what everybody remembers about the 80s as far as they're concerned, you know? So they, they didn't get a lot of – it didn't feel like at least the the set design and all those things. Like if I get the Blu-ray or you know, don't need the Blu-ray now, watch on HBO Max and pause it, I don't think I'm going to get a lot of funny Easter eggs. Even in that shop where the girls steal the sunglasses, I was like, oh, what do they have in there? I was like, nothing really. I mean, this is what it would be at a store <laughs> But an now. FYI to everyone, for those who don't know, it is leaving HBO Max on January. January 24th. Right. So, yeah. Just keep that in mind. I was a little surprised to find that out. So. Yeah. The the whole uh, Warner Brothers scheme is they're going to be dropping it for 30 days yep. on HBO Max to gain those subscriptions for that month. And then it will go off until for the rest of the theatrical run until it goes to other streaming sites like Voodoo and everywhere else yeah and so and, that's uh, the question though when it's off are you guys going to buy the blu-ray like do you do you want to see it again did you still enjoy it your second time around and are you ready for a third let me put it this way when it shows up on voodoo and is available to buy for ten dollars or less i get it <laughs> and that's not totally unreasonable that's that's something that will very likely happen yeah uh, that's kind of the same vein but at the same time i probably won't be buying it Okay. Is that because you have other avenues of watching it or you don't feel like you need to own it? I mean, it'll it'll come back around to HBO Max. It'll just be three to six months later. And at that (laughs) point, it'll be free and might try watching it again. We'll see. Or once they reconfigure everything with the Flash movie that maybe it'll be worth a rewatch to see, hey, how does this change? What was affected? Things like that. Yeah. For me, I don't feel like I want to invest the two and a half hours in this movie that I do in the first movie. Um, Like I would, this is a movie I would skip scenes, you know, I'd be like, okay, Maxwell Lord's introduction. I'm going to love this. Okay. Now let's skip over and let's watch, uh, you know, Steve do his fashion show. Okay. You know, like, so I'll watch like bits and pieces, but for me, like it, uh, it wasn't one where I, when I went back to it, I noticed some things that I didn't notice before, but it didn't add to my enjoyment of the movie. And I think it's just because I held the first one in such high esteem, you know, for a long time, I said, wonder woman is the best DCEU movie. Suicide Squad is still my favorite DCEU movie. So, you know, Jeremy, you said you went in with low expectations. I went in with very high expectations. And I felt like I got a film that didn't come together completely for me. Like Colton has logically told me where it does, but it doesn't feel like it does when I watch it. And so it feels like, you know, a bunch of people's different movies mashed together and we wanted to do this and this action scene idea we had. But it, it felt like there were places they could have gone. And most of all, the indictment of humanity, which is a very bold statement I am making here. But I feel like the fact that they said, no, no, no. if everybody got to wish for everything they ever wanted, the world would be in chaos because we're all terrible people. 
Uh, yes, that, I mean, that there's a truth to that, that humanity has a selfishness innate in them. But wouldn't it be great to show, like, I don't know, that there were people that were wishing for world peace and Maxwell had to somehow cancel out their wish? You know what I'm saying? Like, there are people, the majority, I feel, with good hearts, with a desire to do good things. In, and in a way, like I feel said the world is terrible. That. We did yeah. get that because look at the sheer number of people who renounced their wishes. Mm-hmm. Like in a way we got that. Um, yeah. We should have been shown some of the road to hell, good intentions, wishes. Sure. But in the end, I, I felt there was a positive message about mankind. Cause I got, I got to tell you in real life, I don't think I'd have that much faith that that many people would renounce their wishes. Right. And I mean, even Cheetah renounced her wish. Yeah. Did she renounce both wishes? We won't know uh, if she comes back or if she's just a one-off villain. And in a way, I guess what it does show is that humanity has the ability to learn from its mistakes, right? So everybody tried out getting their way and they learned, yes, like you say, it's better to uh, you know exist in the world and do your best as a, a good person as you want to be. Uh, and not just have a, a free pass, you know, or departing of the Red Seas, as he told his driver, right? <laughs> that yeah. you just get to walk through and everything goes your way. So, so and the fact that you said there that, you know, yes, people were able to see, oh, this is not a good choice and push beyond, uh, you know, that, that, that does have some, uh, a bit of a hopeful statement, I suppose. So one yeah, go ahead. go ahead, Colton. Um, one thing I found interesting is how this film is going through a cycle that a lot of films go through. They go through it through a longer period of time. This movie is going through it during a very short period of time. Like, for example, The Force Awakens. In the beginning, pretty much everybody loved that movie. Then time started to take a toll on it, and now I'm hearing a lot more, oh, it wasn't that great. I don't know if you guys have noticed, the same thing happened to this movie just way quicker. Like, the early reviews were pretty much universally positive. I couldn't hear anybody who had seen the film and had anything bad to say about it. It was certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And since it has been open to the general public, those who have disliked the film have been very vocal and have been very specific. Like, they're not just saying I hated it. They've been explaining in really quality, minute detail why they don't think the film works. And it lost its certified fresh status. Like, that did. doesn't happen very often. It is down and, to 62%. Yeah. And apparently dropping, because last I checked, it was like 67. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, this film is going through a very interesting cycle, and it's it's been fascinating to watch, and I, I really do appreciate everyone's opinions. Me, personally, I'm leaning towards maybe 6 out of 10, because I do see a lot of the flaws in it while still enjoying it. But yeah, um, I'm curious what your guys' numbers are, if it's not too early to ask. <laughs> uh, I'm probably sitting around the same, same there, Colton. Uh, I, I can't go much higher because it was okay. Um, and I'm wondering if the original Wonder Woman is going to be a victim of this movie as well, being dragged down. Um, because sometimes when you build franchises like the sequels, that uh, as they progressively get worse, you look back on the earlier movies as just part of the the junk that came with the rest. I would disagree. I don't think that's going to happen with the original film only because it did stand alone aside from, you know, the opening scene that ties into Batman V Superman. If you chop that out as to the framing device for why she's remembering her past, if it was just the movie 
as it's presented for the majority of the film. I think it is a strong standalone movie. It has a great message as a good, you know, track that all the characters travel on together, uh, you know, and her losing her naivete and then being able to uh, appreciate and love humanity again and have that hope. Um, and then I, I just, I don't feel like this movie should be able to damage it. People might say, well, you know, like say people, oh, she's not that great an actress. Like we thought, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I just think like that they'll hold up, but that first movie was so good, you know? And I think that's what you always have to go back to. Well, it was good. And why was this one not so good? Maybe the third one will be better. And you hope and hope and hope, you know? Um, so like, I, I have to, uh, to agree with you guys. I would go a little bit less, like I say, just because I have been so critical of the film, I'd give it a five just from the perspective of it was passable and it had, it gave me some moments where I enjoyed it, but then, you know, uh, it had those moments where it just, it took me out of it in it's, uh, just the, just some of the choices that they made as a story that didn't feel like I said, for me, very totally cohesive. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm at a five. Right. Well, so how did, being an 80s flick there, Adam, uh, how did you like that all of the DOS monitors became full screen color TVs once they began broadcasting to everything? <laughs> I had the biggest laugh there with Curtis about that. Yeah, like I say, it just it felt like the the production design wasn't they weren't focused on that as much. Like we we need to you know, like if we have enough people in spandex doing exercising, people will get distracted. You know? Yeah, like, they won't notice anachronisms and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you say, they they really could have done with you know because I don't even I don't know what that one song was that was playing at the fundraiser party. I don't know um, if it was really an 80s song or if it just sounded like an 80s I, song. I believe that Curtis looked that up. It was Real by Duran Duran. Okay, so Duran Duran. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I, I so they had one song. That. Yeah, but more more would have helped if they could have somehow uh, amplified the fun of the movie in those moments. And, and maybe it would have made it more ridiculous because it seemed like they were trying to go mostly in a direction of we want you to think when you watch this movie we want you to consider and we want you to come out of this with possibly a new perspective on how you operate in the world in which you live which i will say it did that i mean it certainly gave me a lot to think about uh but i yeah i, I think with the promise of an 80s movie i don't know it delivered very successfully on that and also, no George Orwell references to 1984. <laughs> I really thought there would be something in there. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Disappointment. <laughs> Dang, you guys are making some great points on how this film disappointed. That I should have thought of that. That is that's very disappointing. That's a lost opportunity right there. Yeah, we we don't want to rain on your parade, Colton. It's I mean, there's just some things, you know, some things. So. Uh, however, I also appreciated that they deliberately left some stuff a little bit vague. Um, was it just me, or did you did it look to you guys like they weren't really trying to make the president look like Ronald Reagan? Yeah, not a hundred percent. That was nice. Yeah. They did go ridiculous. I, I appreciated that they didn't get too ham-handed with messages like that. And honestly, politically, the whole "I can get whatever I want" message politically that could swing both ways. It really could. Uh, when it comes to thinking fourth-dimensionally and how the choices you make can have fourth-dimensional consequences. I liked how that message, whether they intended to or not, it felt like it could swing both ways. All right. Well, uh, you know, can, Jeremy, can I give a little plug here as we go out? Go for it. <laughs> so this review is a little bit of a, uh, a, 
I don't know if you want to say a primer uh, for a special month that the Retro Network is doing for January 2021, which is Comic-Con month. So they're going to have a lot of content focused on comic books. And uh, as you know, we have our main show, Sequel Quest. So coming up on our next episode, you know, we've been talking about maybe some of the problems with the DCEU and what Warner Brothers could have done better. So we are going to put our money where our mouth is, and we are actually going to be rebooting the DC Extended Universe, if we're even going to call it that. Maybe it needs a new name, you know? So we're going to be bringing on uh, a past guest, Mr. Michael Canetti, who also is on the Retro Network as part of the Box Office 30 podcast and my Retro Comic Books podcast, Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. And so we are going to come together. We are going to each pitch our ideas for how you do these core Justice League characters right? And then how do you bring them together in a movie that isn't the Snyder Cut? And so we hope that you will join us for that. It's going to be a very interesting discussion indeed. And uh, we will look forward to hearing your responses on social media. But just wanted to give you a heads up to stay tuned for that bit of comic book fun. Well, and this will sign off our latest edition of Sequel Chat and rounding out 2020. Until next time. Life is good, but it can be better. <laughs> Very nice. We hope you enjoyed all of the fun of today's episode and invite you to join us on our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and on most of your favorite podcatchers. And of course, visit us at our new home on the web, theretronetwork.com. This has been a presentation of The Retro Network.
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.